Let's pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank You for the mercies and the grace that You have lavished upon us even this morning. We're grateful, Lord, for the rain that falls on the earth, that waters it, and it is a reminder, Lord, that Your Word comes forth and accomplishes the purposes for which You send it. And so we pray, Father, that this morning You would help us marvel that Your ways are higher than our ways, that Your thoughts are not our thoughts. We pray that Your Word, by Your Spirit, for the glory of Your Son, would have its way among us in our hearts. We pray that we would help, we would be helped as we look into Your Word to trust You, to come to You, to draw near to You, so that You might draw near to us. Father, we pray that what we know not, that You would teach us, and that what we have not, that You would please give us, and that what we are not, please make us, all for the glory and praise of Your dearly beloved Son, who lives with You and who reigns with You, together with the Holy Spirit, one God forever blessed and forever praised. Amen. When a broken neck ambushed my life and left me a quadriplegic, I felt as though God had smashed me underfoot like a cigarette. At night I would thrash my head on the pillow hoping to break my neck at a higher level and thereby end my misery. After I left the hospital, I refused to get out of bed. My paralysis was permanent, and inside, I died. But after weeks in bed, I finally cried out, God, if I can't die, please show me how to live. And From then on, I would ask my sister to get up, to get me up, and to park me in my wheelchair in front of my Bible. And holding a mouth stick, I would flip this way and that, looking for answers, any answers. And I found help in the book of Lamentations, where I read, I am a man who has seen affliction. Surely against me, God turns his hand again and again the whole day long. Lamentations 3, 1, verse 1 and 3. I marveled, thinking, that's me. I was amazed to learn that God welcomes our laments. Our frustrations and questions do not fluster Him. More astoundingly, He invites us to come and air our grievances before Him. Those are the words of Joni Erickson Tata. Joni found great comfort in discovering that God welcomes our laments. And I want each one of us to discover, if we haven't already, the amazing grace of lament, just as she did. And so to that end, please open your Bible to Psalm 13, Psalm 13, one of David's prayers of lament. Now, the majority of the Psalms are prayers of praise, but the book of Psalms also includes many prayers of 
lament. These are passages that are written in the minor key, as it were. Now, biblical lament may be a familiar, may not be a familiar territory for you. Um, there is a book called Lamentations. Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet. And these psalms of lament, they may be psalms that you skip over when you're reading through the book of Psalms. Maybe you can't relate to what the psalmist is going through. But listen, when we're hurting, when we're suffering, when we're grieving, we're often encouraged with quick solutions like, hey, just wipe away those tears and pick yourself up and you need to start moving on. But the Bible, the Bible gives to those who are hurting divine permission to wrestle with sorrow instead of rushing to end it. The Bible gives those who are walking through the valley of the shadow of death God-given words to pray, God-given words to sing, even in the darkest of valleys. The Bible supplies the language for your suffering. The Bible states questions that you can pose. The Bible voices your pain. The Bible articulates your strength, your anguish. The Bible casts your groaning into the unbreakable steel of divine truth. The Bible does all of this through lament. So let's listen now to one of these prayers of lament found in Psalm 13. To the choir master, a psalm of David, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, because he has dealt bountifully with me. Psalm 13 has three parts, three movements of the soul, as it were, that typify a prayer of lament. Each one of these parts contains two verses, verses 1 and 2, verses 3 and 4, and then verses 5 and 6. And so as we come to Psalm 13, we ask the question, how should you respond when your life is in the minor key? And the answer that Psalm 13 provides has three words. Lament, ask, 
and trust. Lament, ask, and trust. Lament to the Lord, verses 1 and 2. Lament to the Lord, verses 1 and 2. Number 2, ask Him for help, verses 3 and 4. Ask Him for help, verses 3 and 4. And then number 3, trust. Trust His promises, verses 5 and 6. Lament to the Lord, ask Him for help, and trust His promises. And my prayer, especially for those of us this morning who are hurting, is that you'll find this passage to be a mighty reservoir of amazing grace. Number one, lament to the Lord. When your life is in the minor key, lament to the Lord. Verses 1 and 2. In these opening verses, David laments to the Lord. The anguished cry of his heart is repeated four times. How long, O Lord? How long? How long? How long? Now, we're rarely ever told the precise historical reasons for David's many laments. Sometimes we are, but oftentimes we're not. And so instead of trying to guess at the biographical cause of David's lament, the point of a psalm like uh, Psalm 13 is to draw you, the reader, into David's lament. This psalm expresses the feelings of lament in these opening verses. David feels forgotten and forsaken and sorrowful and defeated. David feels forgotten. Verse 1, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Now David knows, he knows theologically that God has not forgotten him. After all, he wrote a, a few psalms earlier in Psalm 9, verse 12. He says, God does not forget the cry of the afflicted. He knows that God hasn't forgotten his cry, but David feels forgotten. Have you ever felt forgotten by God? You've prayed, you've asked, you've hoped, you've dreamed, you've sought, but it feels as if the all-knowing God has forgotten all about you. It feels as if the Lord, the covenant-keeping, covenant-remembering God, has forgotten you. David feels forgotten. David also feels forsaken. He feels forsaken. Look at the end of verse 1. How long will you hide your face from me? David feels as if the Lord has hidden the brightness of his face, the very light of his glorious countenance. Now this language of seeking God's face is the language of spiritual communion. This is the language of communion. It's, it's as if God has turned his back on David. David feels as if God has hidden his face, and now David is asking the same question 
that Job asked during all of his many afflictions. Why do you hide your face and count me as your enemy? Job 13.24 David feels forgotten and David feels forsaken. Have you ever felt as if God Himself had forsaken you and turned His back on you? Thirdly, David feels sorrowful because he feels forgotten and because he feels forsaken by God. It fills David with sorrow. He feels sorrowful. Look at verse 2. How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? David is full of sorrow. He, He feels like he isn't receiving any counsel from the Lord, and so David is left counseling his own soul. He's wrestling internally with his own anxious thoughts, and this is happening all day long. It's happening constantly. It's like his soul is is watching the same rerun over and over and over again. I have sorrow in my heart all the day. Have you ever have you ever felt sorrow like this? Just unending. It feels like it's just never going to end. It's this dark cloud that just doesn't seem to ever leave. David feels He feels forgotten, he feels forsaken, he feels sorrowful. And fourthly, David feels defeated. He feels defeated. Look at the end of verse 2. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? If this cycle of grief is a cycle. He he feels as if he's hit rock bottom there at the end of verse 2. His lament isn't just upward, and it's not just inward. It's also outward. Outwardly, David feels threatened, and he feels defeated by his enemies. Uh, David is down, and his enemies have seemingly triumphed over him. He feels dominated and defeated. Have you ever felt that way before? Have you ever felt that way? What are you supposed to make of this lament? Now, as I said earlier, you might not feel this way right now. You may not be able to really relate to what David is going through as recorded in this psalm. You may not feel that way this morning. But if you follow Jesus Christ enough, If you follow him long enough in this fallen world, I promise that you will eventually encounter this kind of pain. You will encounter a dark night of the soul. Now, what are you supposed to do when that happens? Well, brothers and sisters, because God loves us, he puts psalms in the Bible passages in the Bible like Psalm 13. He is giving us His own words that they might become our words back to Him 
when we go through the dark night of the soul. And so what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to pray our own pain back to the Lord. We're to pray our struggles to the Lord. In his excellent book on biblical lament, uh, a dear pastor in Indiana, Mark Vergrop, writes the following. Quote, lament is how we bring our sorrow to God. Let me say that again. Lament is how we bring our sorrow to God. He goes on to write, No one taught you how to cry. Tears are part of what it means to be human. But to lament is Christian. It is a prayer of faith for the journey between a hard life and God's goodness. Oh, friend, listen to these words again. Lament is the prayer of faith for the journey between a hard life and God's goodness. And so we need to learn how to lament. Tears, no one taught you how to cry, but you, you have to learn how to lament. And, and Mark closes by saying, through the tears, the first step of lament is to turn to God in prayer, end quote. Brothers and sisters, what do we learn from these opening few verses about lament? Well, Christian, listen. Learn from David how to voice your concerns and voice your anguish and voice your questions to the Lord Himself. Learn from David how to vocalize your pain and your frustrations and your worries and your doubts and your sorrows and bring your lament to the Lord. So lament to the Lord. Number two, ask Him for help. Ask Him for help, verses 3 and 4. David doesn't just lament to the Lord. David also teaches us to ask the Lord for help. And so in verses 3 to 4, David asks the Lord to do three things that will bring about his deliverance. Number one, he prays, consider me. Consider me. Verse 3, consider me, O Lord, David cries. Now, your translation might say something like, look on me, look upon me, consider me. Now, when we're hurting, one of the most helpful things in the whole world is simply being noticed by someone else. You ever thought about that? When you're hurting, you, you feel like you're all alone. You feel like nobody can relate to what you're going through. And so, even though you may not be able to express it, there's nothing more precious in the whole world than to have someone stop and look at you in the eyes and actually see you and consider you and look upon you. In Psalm 142, David records what he was feeling 
when he was all alone hiding in a cave, when he was on the run from Saul. And he, he says this, There is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. That's Psalm 142, verse 4. That's what David was feeling. He felt deserted by God. He felt forsaken by God earlier, remember, in verses 1 and 2. And so what does he say? He says, Lord, take notice of me. Please consider me. Pay attention to my to my sorrows. That's what he prays. So consider me. That's the first thing he prays. The second thing he prays, verse uh, number two, is he says, answer me. Don't just consider me, but answer me. Verse three, answer me, O Lord my God. David doesn't simply long to be noticed. He longs to be heard. He longs to be answered. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. So be gracious to me and hear my prayer. That's Psalm 4, 1. David asks the Lord, his God, to answer his prayers. So consider me, answer me, and then the third thing he prays is strengthen me strengthen me. David prays in verse 3, light up my eyes. Now, when you read those words, you might not think that has to do with strength, but other translations render this as revive me, revive me. And I think that's a good translation. David isn't asking for illumination. He's asking for rejuvenation. He, he doesn't, he, he's not saying, Lord, enlighten me in the sense of answer every one of my questions so I know all the particulars. That's not what he's asking. He's saying, lighten up my eyes. In other words, David sees himself on the verge of death. We're going to see that in a second. His eyes are falling shut, and if God doesn't intervene soon, He's going to fall asleep for good. Another reason I think that David is praying, uh, light up my eyes, i.e. revive me, is he prays the same thing over in Psalm 38, verse 10, which says this, My strength fails me, and the light of my eyes has also gone from me. So there's that connection, strengthening me and the light of my eyes failing me. And so David's fading fast. And so he desperately needs to be revived by God's almighty strength. And so that's precisely what he requests from the Lord. When you are discouraged and depressed and down and, and weary in soul, if you've ever been there, you know that you just don't have any energy. You just feel depleted. You just you don't even want to get out of bed. And so David is praying, Lord, strengthen me. Now David isn't just asking these three requests in a kind of uh, standoffish way. David is making these requests in an urgent 
tone. These are all of these requests have multiple explanation uh, exclamation points after them, and and he gives reasons. He gives three reasons why these requests are so urgent. Uh, beginning at the end of verse three, he he says. He says, he says, answer me, consider me, strengthen me. Well, why? Verse 3, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Wow, that's the first reason. Number 2, verse 4, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. That's reason number 2. And then reason number 3, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. So David's life is threatened and there is blood urgency to David's prayer request. David is saying, Lord, if you don't help me, if you don't consider me, if you don't strengthen me, then I'm done. I'm a goner. And brothers and sisters, what a comfort it is in our trials, in our pain, in our sorrows, that we can never, ever exhaust the supply of God's ability to help us. We can never exhaust the supply of God's infinite ability to help His children. What a comfort it is in our sorrows that we can never out-ask God's willingness or ability to care for us. 2 Corinthians 9.8 says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Oh, He is all sufficient in Himself and He is a good Heavenly Father who delights to give good things to his children. So when we are totally spent, God still remains the fountain of living waters. And he is able to give to us according to the riches of his glory. And so therefore, we must ask him for help in our time of need. This week... I reread uh, the short little uh, book, The Magician's Nephew, which is, as you know, is one of the stories in the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. And I was reminded once again of one of my favorite scenes uh, that features Diggory and Polly uh, when they are lamenting their lack of food. Uh, meanwhile, right next to them, there is Fledge, the flying horse, and he is munching on some delicious green grass. And, and so Diggory says, well, well, I do think someone might have arranged about our meals, Diggory said. And Fledge responded, well, I'm sure Aslan would have if you'd asked him. Wouldn't he know without being asked, said Polly? Well, I've no doubt he would, said the horse. But he likes to be asked. He likes to be asked. Brothers and sisters, the Lord knows what you're going through, but He likes to be asked for help. So God in this psalm gives you the language of your lament, but God won't let you stop at just lamenting. 
God also calls upon you to call upon Him. Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. Psalm 50, 15. So, we're supposed to lament to the Lord when life is in the minor key. We're to ask Him for help. And thirdly and finally, we are to trust His promises. Verses 5 and 6. In these last two verses, we discover that lament is a prayer of pain that leads to trust. Lament is a prayer of pain that leads to trust. It doesn't end in pain. It leads to trust. Lament isn't about wallowing in your sorrows. Lament is a pathway between pain and promise. Lament is the path from heartbreak to hope. And you can see how this lonely path of lament changes directions suddenly from lamenting to asking to trusting in the first words of verse 5. Notice the change of direction. Verse 5, But I have trusted. Now, if you write in your Bible, that would be something to underline. That's the turn that happens in prayers of lament. When you study the prayers of lament in the book of Psalms, each one of the Psalms has a phrase like this where we go from the lament portion to the, the urgent pleading and asking for help from God, but then there's always this turn. And it's often indicated by words similar to verse 5. But I have trusted. David makes three affirmations of trust in the Lord in these closing verses. It doesn't mean that, that everything has suddenly brightened and become perfect. It doesn't mean all of his problems have gone away. But what David happens, what happens in David's soul is that coming to the Lord, bringing his lament, asking him for help, he's now in a place where even when the darkness hasn't lifted yet, he can trust in the Lord. And that's what he does. Let's look at these three affirmations. These affirmations of trust are they are like three rungs on a ladder in David's soul, as it were. And David's climbing up these rungs of the ladder to go from desolation to even delight. So let's look at this first affirmation. First affirmation is, I have trusted in your love. I have trusted in your love. Verse 5, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. David recalls how he has trusted in the Lord's faithful, steadfast, covenantal love. The foundation of David's faith isn't rooted or grounded on his circumstances. It's grounded and deeply rooted in the steadfast love of the Lord that never ceases. I have trusted, David says, in your loving kindness. John Calvin, when he was commenting on this verse, he writes, David's confidence in God's promises 
had not been extinguished from his heart. The Psalms of Lament teach us that once we've turned to the Lord and brought our complaints to Him, once we've asked Him for help and for grace, then we're to shift our perspective from considering our own circumstances and our own situation and to recall to mind the firm foundation of what we know to be true. David turns away from his frailty and he fixates upon the firm foundation of God's unfailing, steadfast love. The Lord's faithful love is truly our only hope, isn't it? Remember what our scripture reading earlier from Lamentations 3 said? My endurance has perished and so has my hope from the Lord. But, see the turn, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases and His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, and therefore I will hope in Him. So David looks away from himself and he calls us to do the same. So struggling, hurting Christian, look away from yourself. Look away from your trials. Look away from your struggles and fix the eyes of your heart on the Lord. Consider the Lord. Consider His everlasting, unchanging, steadfast love towards you. Consider that His love is without a beginning and His love is without change and His love is without end. He has fixed His love upon you and He will never let you go. We're told at the end of Romans 8, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And then Paul says, As it is written. And what does he quote from? He quotes from Psalm 44, a prayer of lament. As it is written, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise the Lord. Christian, trust in the Lord's love for you in Christ. Number two, second affirmation of trust. I will rejoice in your salvation. That's what he says at the second half of verse five. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Remember, David began his lament with a heart that was full of sorrow, but now his heart is rejoicing. 
Earlier, David's enemies were rejoicing, but now David is saying, I shall rejoice in the Lord's salvation. He's fixing his eyes on the Lord, on his saving God. And that is bringing joy. In verse, the last thing he affirms there, number three, is he says, I will sing to you. Verse six, I will sing to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord. Isn't that amazing? David begins by lamenting, and then he asks for help. And David ends this psalm by saying, even in my sorrows, even in my dark days, I will sing to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord. He's sorrowful, but David's always rejoicing. Even in the valley of the shadow of death, David can sing. Why? He tells us the ground with that word because. Because the Lord has dealt bountifully with me. Even in the darkness of our discouragements, it's, it's very difficult to see our Father's good plans, isn't it? But David knows that the Lord is good, and he knows that he does good, and he knows that the Lord has dealt bountifully, graciously with him. Have you tasted and seen the Lord's goodness in your life? Can you look back on your life as a Christian and see even, even when you went through hard things, difficult things, can't you look back and see that the Lord has indeed dealt bountifully with you? Can you, can you look back on your life and see that the Lord has not dealt with you according to your sins. He hasn't, he hasn't treated you as your sins deserve. Well, David, David sees that. And that causes him to sing. William Cooper is one of my favorite hymn writers. He struggled with deep depression his entire adult life. If you know his story, you know that he actually went and lived with he went and lived with the pastor uh, John Newton. And Newton was a deep encouragement to Cooper his entire life. He he encouraged Cooper to write hymns to help him find joy amidst his heartache. And in 1774, Cooper penned what would be his final hymn. You probably have heard us sing it before. It's entitled, God Moves in a Mysterious Way. And these lines, the whole hymn is great, but these lines are my favorite. Cooper writes, Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust Him for His grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. How can you know, Christian, 
that the Lord is good? How can you be certain this morning that God is for you and not against you? How can you sing even in your sorrow? How has the Lord dealt bountifully with you? Well, here's how. For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? For He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed Him not. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one of us to our own way. But the Lord has laid upon Him the iniquity of us all. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. And when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. And the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. And by his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, shall make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Oh friend, oh friend, do you know this suffering servant? Do you know this man of sorrows? Have you trusted yourself to this one who is acquainted with grief? Oh friend, you can trust Him today because this suffering one, this servant, this man of sorrows, this one who's acquainted with grief, He is the risen King of glory. He rose again three days after He died on the cross 2,000 years ago, and now He rules and reigns and is exalted above the heavens at God's right hand, and He is working all things together for the good of His people, even our sorrows. And He promised His own disciples, you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow, your sorrow will turn into joy. And when He comes again, all the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, and everlasting joy shall be upon our heads, and we shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. For the Lamb is in the midst of the throne, and He will be our shepherd, and He will guide us to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. But until that day, until that day, Brothers and sisters, trust in His promises. 
trust yourself completely to this one who died and rose again for your justification, who has never left you, who is closer to you than the light by which you see and the air by which you breathe, who sees you, who draws near to you in your sorrows, who will never leave you nor forsake you, who is with you at your bedside in your time of deepest heartache. And know, know that there is no creature in heaven above or on earth below who loves you more than Jesus Christ does. He welcomes your laments. He welcomes your laments. And the question is, will you bring your lament to Him? Heavenly Father, we thank You for being a good Father, for being a God of mercy who sits on a throne of grace. We pray that You help us to trust You today and to continue trusting You until that day when laments will give way to praise, when sorrows will give way to sight, when we will see You and see Your Son in all of His fullness and glory. Oh God, we pray by Your Spirit, keep us faithful until that day. Come soon, Lord Jesus, we pray. Come soon. We ask this in Jesus, our great Savior's sake. Amen.